Hey guys, welcome to Catching Up with Kelsey, a podcast about nothing, something, and everything in between. Every week I keep coming back hoping somebody will tell me how the hell this all works. But until then, let's sit back and enjoy the ride. Hey guys, welcome back to Catching Up with Kelsey. So last episode, you just had me by my lonesome chit-chatting and talking about what this podcast was going to be all about. But as I promised every single week, we're going to have a different guest on with me. And so this week I brought on somebody who's actually currently stuck with me. Um, As you may or may not have noticed, depending on if you're in your nuclear shelter uh, bunker or not. But currently right now we are all under this semi-shelter-in-place law of the world where we're all pretending like it's not going to end in death and tragedy. Um, But my partner in crime for this week is my younger sister, Madison. Why don't you say hello? Hi, everyone. Hi, Madison. So um, Madison is my younger but way cooler sister. Um, She's 22 years old, and she is currently a senior at Suffolk University. Why don't you tell me what you're doing at Suffolk? Um, I am a senior, so I'm about to graduate, but not actually, because graduation's canceled. Um, and I'm an English major, um, so I'm just kind of, you know, doing a meaningless humanities degree. Which I also did a meaningless humanities degree, so I can tell you just how wonderful it really is for you. (laughs) If you don't get a master's or a PhD, people basically think that you just spent four years dicking around not doing anything. Which is kind of true, but also (laughs) I would like to say to those people, unless you're a STEM major, if you're a business major, you really weren't doing anything because I've had to deal with some of you and I think you just made PowerPoints for a full four years, which is valid, but come on. I honestly don't think I need a four-year degree in Microsoft, which is essentially all they do. They're like, oh yeah, but like, can you make an Excel spreadsheet? And I'm like, do you need to? I could figure it out. There's an app for that <laughs> yeah. at this point. Yeah, exactly. Siri can do that for me. And like PowerPoint's so outdated. Like, come on now. We all know that there's like other apps that you can use instead. Yeah, basically. So English major, that's really fun. What made you say, I'm going to become an English major and read more? Um, I would say I'm just good at it. Um, I'm smart. I'm literate. Uh, and those are kind of the things that you have to be. No, She's very humble. You know what? I really like, I think English, the, the best part of the degree is that it's really focused on critical thinking. And um, I am just, I, I love doing that. I, I really do. Um, I love just sitting around talking about ideas, talking about books, talking about the world. Um and I think that's all you do in an English degree. You, you read a book, you talk about it, you write about it, and you enter that cycle. And it's absolute luxury. Like, for someone like me, it's, it's amazing. Like, I definitely get it. I mean, I went and did a humanities degree as well. I did mine in French language and culture, and I really focused on French lit in my undergrad and then in postgrad. I studied politics. I needed something more concrete. But I understand where she's coming from because, for me... I've always used books as an escape. Like, I always love to read Jane Austen novels and Harry Potter, and I like to imagine my life differently and see myself as a heroine. Um, Probably not Jane Eyre, though, because she sucks, right? She's horrible. That book sucks. I'm team wife here. Like, (laughs) the poor woman. Bertha, (laughs) up in the attic, yeah. Um, Well, I think, honestly, uh, book literature in general 
is amazing because it really allows us to gain new perspectives without having to meet anyone or go anywhere. Um, and the what makes literature good is uh, universal themes that connect us with different people. Um, you know, you could read a book about a different type of person or a different type of culture and really connect with them. And without ever having to meet those people, you can just fall in love with it. And I think, I just think it opens up worlds. It's really, truly like reading Harry Potter. You're put in a new place. Absolutely. You're, it's but, a universal love. Yeah, exactly. So I think that like, I always loved reading books when I was younger because of that idea that reading really connects us with other people and like my favorite book and your favorite book, if they're the same thing, we have this somewhat um, soulmate-like connection yeah. where you can have these conversations and be like, oh my God, yes, the sun also rises. Absolutely one of my all-time favorite books. And do you know what it's about? And like, you can just have those conversations. It's like, although if somebody tells me their favorite book of all time is The Great Gatsby, I'm just like, oh, okay. I mean, that's just a weak take. That's just a book that we all have to read. And it's really not the best book that encapsulates 20th century lifestyle. Or I, I don't really, I, I personally am anti-Great Gatsby. And I'll, I mean, you told me to bring in hot takes. And that is my hot take. I had this girl that was also an English major. And she was, oh God. Okay, now I can't even. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. She wanted to get a tattoo that was... The famous thing that Gatsby says is old sport. She wanted oh, to get old sport oh, tattooed on her. Which okay. is just stupid. I just think if you think you're unique because your favorite book is Gatsby, the book we were all required to read when we were 15 years Every old. Every single child in America has read. Exactly. Like, come on, girl. Get some originality in there. And also, I mean, this is the problem with... English degrees, if you're going to take it to a thesis level or a master's level or a PhD level, is everything has already been said about most of the books that you've read. Like every idea that you thought when you read Great Gatsby, um, so many people have already written about it. Um, and this is why English can't, it, like English academics aren't keeping it relevant because they keep writing about, you know, books that everyone's they keep returning to Gatsby they keep returning to Hemingway it's boring I mean I think there's a lot of unread undiscovered and a lot of contemporary literature that's way better so quit writing about Gatsby you know there's a lot more to offer from that I definitely agree period. I think that's why like I had always like thought about doing an English major as a double major, I really, I've always enjoyed literature. I've always enjoyed writing papers. I've always, you know, enjoyed transporting myself to a different time and place. I was never a big, like, ooh, symbolism person. And I think that's why people read Gatsby is because it's so obvious, so stupid fucking symbols. Like, the green light, if I have to hear one more thing about the green light and the representation of the American dream and Daisy, bleh, I don't give a fuck about all that. But I will say... Being able to read francophone literature was something that I really, truly enjoyed. And I am sad that, for instance, you may not ever be able to read any of that. Um, although, you never know. Maybe I'll get you an English version. But those were some really great books that not a lot of people have done super in-depth research on because it's in another language. Yeah. But, yeah, I 
Great Gatsby, I think it's just so elementary. And any person that's like, The Great Gatsby is my favorite book. I'm like, did you progress after 10th grade? Like They didn't read after 10th grade. That's like somebody saying that Romeo and Juliet's their favorite Shakespeare play. Like, have you read Taming of the Shrew? Like, have you? I'll come in with another hot take and say, stop reading Shakespeare. Just don't do it. <laughs> Unless you want to, but it shouldn't be forced upon people anymore. Because it's really, I mean, come on. It's not relevant anymore. I'm And I'm very, I feel very strongly about the fact that it needs to be taken out of your required English curriculum because I think it, advanced English students should be allowed to explore that. But I'm sorry if you're hitting them with, uh, I, I read Julius Caesar in seventh grade. You lose the whole class immediately by, by doing that. Yeah, and nobody opinion. can grasp the concepts that these stories were telling. I think Hamlet was probably the easiest one, but that's because we've seen it so many times in so many movies. Specifically, everybody's favorite childhood movie, The Lion King. Like, it's so easy. I never saw The Lion King. (laughs) And this is the night that I lost my sister, everyone. I saw the new one, though. Oh, well, all right. My thing is, especially with Shakespeare, I think one of the reasons why we still use Shakespeare in schools is because we like students to stand up in front of a class and practice public speaking. And I think that, you know, there's a lot in it that teaches you about rhyme scheme and about, um, you know, syllables and about the formation of new words. Shakespeare wrote these plays and created new words just because he couldn't come up with something. So I think there is some use for them. But I do agree. I think it's way overplayed. Like there's value. Use but American like theater. Exactly. I will say, I Not know. The I know nothing about American. I know a lot about American musical theater, and I know nothing about American playwrights because of the fact that we're just we don't read it. And if you want kids to do monologues in class, which is very useful to have students. Uh, learn that way. It's very useful to have people perform to act out because it helps people with their speaking and it naturally helps people, you know, figure out the English language by speaking it out. Um, So I think definitely like read plays, perform, act. I'm a very big advocate for that. But Maybe one Shakespeare, like do Hamlet, but like, or do Romeo and Juliet. Macbeth. Oh, Lady Macbeth is... But she is a heroine. Do, but just do one of them. Don't every single year we have to read a Shakespeare play, and it's like, oh my god! Like we're, bo- I don't know. It just it feels like we don't need it. And also, I mean, we grew up in a nice uh, white upper class place where, sure, Shakespeare maybe could connect with us more. I I don't know. But, I mean, in mo- most teens are not really connecting with the material that's going on there. Unless it's well translated. to, uh, Unless it's taught in the right way. I, I don't know. I just don't think it's... Yeah. I don't think it's really for... Well, I, I think it's... 15-year-olds. Old white dude. Yeah, exactly. And how... If... if I, I literally think back about it. And I don't think... I, 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 did, I did not read one author of color the entire four years I was in high school. And I think I read like two women. So that's why I guess I'm anti-Shakespeare. I'm anti-Fitzgerald. I, 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 you know, I'm just, I'm anti-Hemingway. Yeah. I'm, I'm just anti it. I'm like, let's read. 
I think there's definitely like space in the American educational system where you know somebody needs to say something and say like this is really dated curriculum and we're losing more than half of our citizenship when we like have them read this crap that nobody can relate to anymore Mm -hmm. I think that it's really important that we somehow figure out a way to like bridge this gap because you know I think a lot of this curriculum is from like the 1940s and 50s when there was like segregation happening like it's just not relatable I have so many students that like I hear talking about Romeo and Juliet and they're like you know our teacher makes it fun and I do have to say like I work with some great teachers who know how to make this fun but at the same time they're like yeah I can't relate like I have no idea how to relate and I always think back to that movie 10 things I hate about you Mm -hmm. where the English teacher raps Shakespeare prose and everybody in the class was just like, holy shit, this connects to me now. And yeah. I think like we can continue to have Shakespeare in class, but I think we need to figure out how to connect it to people so that they're interested. Yeah, yeah. And this is also coming, I just want to say, this take is coming from a person that the Leonardo DiCaprio version of Romeo and Juliet, Claire Danes, I mean, that was like my favorite movie in high school. Like really? that was, I oh my God. But also that's because I love Baz Luhrmann, Moulin Rouge. I mean, Very true. I, I just, I love it. Uh, stylistically speaking, it's amazing. And Leo looks great in it. So I totally love Romeo and Juliet, like as a kid. And I also think... <laughs> I mean, that is the great love story. I think, yeah. I think a lot of it is, like, that movie was so modernized, too. And it was so, like, you were easy to connect with it. And I think that's also important, too, is, like, we're showing kids, like, the old school Romeo and Juliet in school. Oh, my God. And, like, let's show them those newer versions. Like, the reason why I connected with a book like Pride and Prejudice is because of the Keira Knightley version. Directed and written by Joe Wright. Holy shit. One of the best, um films of my entire life and that's why I've always been an Austin fan yeah that's a that's a top 10 movie for me uh, for sure I could watch it a million times but, but I mean but that is the I took a amazing class that was awesome I was so jealous awesome on adaptations and it's like yeah we could watch the you know Kara Knightley version but you can also watch Bridget Jones's Diary which is absolutely absolute favorite of mine you can watch Emma and you can all I mean but you could watch Clueless, Clueless. Yep. I mean that like there's so many adaptations of Austin, which is it's in similar vein of Shakespeare. That is why they are timeless, amazing authors, especially Austin, who you can just take those stories a million times and create them into something new and amazing and still kind of keep the spirit of the story alive. So I think I mean that was a that was such a gratifying way to teach Austin because you read the book and it's work. It's hard work to read uh, read Austin. I mean, it's a lot of scenes. It's it's a lot, it's a lot of, of people. It's a lot of characters. It's a lot of relationships. It's a lot of talking because gossip. It's, it's a gossip. female writer. Yeah, because we like character development. There's a lot of details, and you'll be reading. You'll be like, "Who is this new person that just came to the house to stay for three weeks?" Like, I don't know who they are. Who the um, fuck is Mr. Collins and why is he so annoying? And who's related and why does someone get the house and blah, 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 because we really can't connect with it. But then to go and have that, uh, you know, experience to then have that payoff to watch something like Bridget Jones and essentially see Hugh Grant and Colin Farrell have a fist fight. Oh, so good. I mean, that that's the so payoff good. for getting through the hard work of reading Pride and Prejudice, I think. 
I think one of my favorite things, though, that was never depicted in Bridget Jones's diary is the relationship between the sisters and, like, the whole family. Yes. And I yes. think that, like, the reason why the Joe Wright version will always be my favorite version is because they did such an amazing job casting and choosing this cast. And if you watch the director's cut, and this is so nerdy of me because I've definitely seen it a thousand times, they go through and they discuss how they, you know... Their setting was actually in a legitimate house. They let the yes, cast stay there for this. a few days and actually spend time and create relationships. Mm -hmm. And so what you see in the film is the real relationships that they created as yes. essentially a made-up family for a few months. And I just think it's so amazing. I can never... That movie will never be bad in my it's like, never it's gets timeless. old it never gets old and i the, forced a student to watch it recently the terrible austin fans that say that it is not a good adaptation don't understand cinema don't understand movies and you know what don't understand austin like i'm just they're like I'm i would so rather watch the pbs them. version you know what that's great it's I'm, like eight hours long not everyone can watch the pbs version girl like they're like hard. oh colin Farrell, uh, colin um firth will always be my darcy and i'm just like that's great but like they have, did Don't you see, actually, in London, they had, like, a humongous statue of Colin Firth, because you know the scene where he comes out of the lake? Oh, yeah. And he's dripping wet. They had, that scene creeps they me set out. up an installation of him <laughs> in London, It's and it's, like, it's, like, 15 feet tall of, like, a Colin Firth in a lake for, it was, like, what? an anniversary. I that, don't know. I, honestly, that I'll scene, find it. he, like, pops out of the water, and he's, like, drenched, and I'm just, like, oh, is this, it's like, ridiculous. The, this, is this what women want? Like, is this the female version of a wet t-shirt on? I guess. Because I don't want this. I guess. I, I don't know, but then my last thing, and then we'll wrap up this discussion in on, on these adaptations. She's already taken over my podcast. <laughs> is that Renee Zellweger was nominated for an Oscar for Bridget Jones's Diary for the role of Bridget Jones. And if that does not shock you and amaze you, then you, I mean, she got nominated solely because her accent work was so good in that movie. So many British people really believe that she was like her accent was just perfect and she's from texas so she's a magnificent actor it was amazing so the fact that she was able to win i'm not win but score a nomination and she won an oscar quite recently this past award season for judy but the fact that she was able to score a nomination is something for bridget jones diary i mean it's just it's history in my opinion, because it's, it was it's, such a it's rom com. Because it's Ugh. it's a it's a simply the silliest movie of all time. Oh, but it was so good. Oh yeah. My oh my god. All, I I love that series. Favorite. <laughs> I didn't even know that this is what we were going to talk about, but honestly, I'm totally fine with it. No issues with that. Um, Madison has always been somebody who just has a really good voice and handle on literature and books. I find that like my head. I've read so much in my life. I can't keep things straight. And then like including a second language in there, like it's all up there, but I can't necessarily verbalize it the way that I want to verbalize it. And she's just done so much in the past few years, like working so hard and like, she just has a voice and a, and a perspective that I feel like a lot of people don't have, which is really great. That's why she's actually the smarter Henley. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, they haven't done the IQ test yet, so we're waiting on that. It's a toss-up. It's a toss-up. But, uh, you know, we'll talk about something else. Let's talk about uh, Madison has 
been with the same guy for a really long time, Justin. Um, we both used to work with him, actually, mm-hmm. at an Irish pub in town. He was one mm-hmm. of my good friends at first, and then Madison started working there, and then they started dating later, and they are literally, I joke that they're America's sweetheart couple, like... I mean, we're not America's sweetheart couple for sure. We have, <laughs> you know, we we're. I I don't even I don't even know how to respond to that comment. Honestly. I know it's terrible. It like puts you on the spot of just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, do people really think that about us? <laughs> no, I just think that Maddie and Justin have always had a very easygoing, friendly relationship. Like when you're with them, you don't feel like you're smothered or like you're third wheeling. It just feels comfortable. No. Well, we're not intense. We're not intense people with each other. We're very, we are very much friends. And I think that's what the, that's why people can easily spend time with us is because really the basis of our relationship is just a solid friendship. My biggest pet peeve is when you're with like a friend who's in a relationship and it just feels like you're in the way the whole entire time. And you're yes. just like, ugh. Like, it feels like they're going to make out and take off their clothes at any second. And I'm just here. <laughs> and I want this to end. It's not... I mean, those people aren't gross. It may just be like a little bit of inkling. I think when I spend time with those people, I may feel a little inkling of jealousy or like... Like, I feel like I wish I had that kind of desire for someone the way that those people do. But that that fades... You know, fast, I think. You would hope. Some people, I feel like, though, they're always in that weird, like, intense relationship stage. And they never really grow out of it. And it's always just a little odd. Or it's like a couple that you know, like, square peg, round hole, and they're really trying to make it work. And you can just feel that awkwardness of, like, you didn't build your relationship on friendship. You built your relationship on attraction. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't think anyone's the expert on what's right and what's wrong because I think there, I think relationships, and I don't mean relationship in a formal term, I just mean two people together, uh, if it's for one night or for three years. I think sometimes ones that are built off of attraction can be good and can be fun Um, and I think, but I do think you save those for the one night stand. You save those for the flings. And in life, we really need those things. Like as someone who is in this long term relationship, I would not be as comfortable or as happy if we hadn't been, if we had, I mean, I'm 22. I've been with him since I was 18 years old. Obviously in the past four years, I've grown a lot, but we have had distance and we've had openness in our relationship that we've been allowed to explore other things and other people and other attractions that I don't think I would have been able to feel as secure and good in my relationship if I didn't have those, you know, if I wasn't allowed to do those things. And I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty big proponent of, if like, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think, I don't think monogamy is the only option and that's a kind of a big strong word. I just think the best relationships are built off of the fact that you can accept that the other person is going to need to look at other people and be attracted to other people and be into other people. Yeah. I think that like, for me at least, like, I think in a relationship, it should just be two people, but I think you also need to trust that the other person is 
gonna also look at other human beings and be attracted and have flirtations and have you know, a work wife or a work husband. Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely have two work husbands. Mm-hmm. And, like, if I was in a relationship, if I was with somebody and they had a problem with it, I'd be like, this seems like you have an insecurity. It doesn't have anything to do with me at that point because, like, they're just, like, my friends who, like, we just mesh with their... I don't yeah. know. I think that everything is so personal. People who are in, like, polyamorous relationships and that, like, I don't think I could ever be chill enough to do that. I come off as a really chill girl when it comes mm-hmm. to like relationships. I'm like, oh yeah, like totally fine. Like whatever, we can do whatever. But on the inside, like I am fairly jealous. I don't think I'd be chill enough to be like, let's like open it up and like see what's going on in the world or yeah. whatever. But I like obviously understand that like my boyfriend's going to find some other girl attractive and like he, I'm also going to find other people attractive. And I think that as long as you're honest about these things or at least you have an understanding like... Yeah, I mean, I think it really just takes two people to have the right amount of communication to decide what's best for them, because I think plenty of people, like, monogamy is best for them, and I, and I think, and the, the, at times, that is totally what has been best for Justin and I, and at times, it hasn't really made sense, because we've done long distance twice now, when we've been literally on different continents. So it's hard to kind of put this expectation on a person that says, like, you know, you can't do anything. And and I think a lot of people are fine doing that, but it took a lot of talking it out, discussions, uh, and it took... There were points of tension. There are points of disagreement, you know, and I don't know. I, I don't... I'm not a jealous person, and I don't think that's that's just not part of my like makeup I I don't know what why that doesn't click for me but it I really think you doesn't might also I don't know I feel like you're in a very secure relationship and I think that a lot of times jealousy can come from that insecurity where like yeah. you don't know where you stand yeah which I mean that's something that a lot of people don't deal with a lot of young people do where they have that semester abroad but Madison and I both have spent years away actually yeah I lived in France for two years, in Ireland for a year. Madison lived in Ireland for a year and did a semester abroad in Italy. And it really, like, changes how you view relationships with people and how you date with other people and, like, how you form attachments to other people. Like, I remember dating my ex and, like, we were great when we were great and we weren't when we weren't. But, like, I don't think that he and I would have ever survived He, like, thought that I was going to end up doing a PhD in London. I had been planning on it. I had applied for it. I got accepted for it. Mm -hmm. And at the last minute, I was like, I can't do it. I really, I don't want to. It wasn't the last minute, but it was, like, you know, six months beforehand. I just realized, like, I didn't want to spend four or five years in London. And he was just like, oh, you can definitely do it. And for me, emotionally, I was just like, if I go, we're breaking up. I'm not... I can't do it. Whereas you and Justin, I feel like a lot of your relationship happened long distance yes at the beginning yes and I think it really tests your ability to communicate if you can get through long distance I think you can get through a lot of things and I think long distance is almost I I mean it was almost hard to go from being long distance for a full year at the beginning of our relationship to going into living 10 minutes away from each other that was a harder transition than transitioning to long distance because it was hard to all of a sudden 
be responsible for the relationship in a physical way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I get that. In an emotional way, it's really easy to communicate long distance if you're good at it. But when coming back, like, I was literally like, oh my gosh, we have so much to work we have to create like a life we have to create a schedule yeah you have to create like a physical intimacy as well like having that having those conversations and being put into a situation where like you're shaking things up no matter if you're going to be closer or farther away is always going to be difficult because it's a difference from your norm and you've already built this relationship this foundation on being separated all the time yeah and then you come back and all of a sudden you're not independent anymore no you can't just go out and do whatever the fuck you want you have to be responsible and you have to be aware of the fact that your partner is now sitting 10 minutes down the road waiting for you to pick up the phone being like hey babe want to go see a movie but you're already at the movies because bitch you don't owe anybody anything you just spent the last year doing whatever the fuck you want exactly and i think that's been the biggest like difficulty in in the amount of transitions and also like you said like a physical intimacy like before when we were seeing each other it's like we're coming back together it's high intensity it's high emotion it's great then going to being back together all the time it's like well we're not always having this like beautiful reunion like we're just <laughs> with each other You're all just the like, time oh just, damn i went to the bathroom for yeah 10 minutes. exactly like there's no it, and like i don't know i i think that is a hard that's just a, that to me was ha- the harder part of long distance was coming back together than it was going apart and i think he would actually say the opposite but we just have different takes on it and i mean I can see that though. I feel like Justin and Madison, and like this is from my own perspective, obviously, like Madison and I don't like sit and talk about this all the time. But from my perspective, I've always seen Madison similar to me in the sense that we're both very good communicators and we're both really good with our words. But we're also kind of standoffish and a little bit cold when it comes to like our intimacy and showing other people we love them whereas justin has always come off to me as somebody who's just like a hugger who's just like i want to spend time with you i want to be with you i want to tell everybody how awesome you are yeah and that's i think it's a yin and yang thing and i think that that's a great thing but i it obviously takes time to balance it out because like for you it must have been a lot of love and like i don't like it when people are like give me a hug i'm just like oh this is too much love and then on the other hand, he must have been like, why is she not more, like, obsessed yeah. openly? <laughs> yeah, and I just don't think, I don't know. I think it's it's just, it's just two different people, and I agree. I don't think either of us are very, like, open and lovey-dovey. That's just not really my way. And also, I mean, that's, like, get into the love language is conversation how do you show love i love the love language like how do you we're gonna talk about this what do you want and i think that is such a big part of relationship is figuring out like my love language is x his love language is x so i have to do what he wants and he has to do what i want and those things are not the same thing and you know i think i'm never gonna be like the person that's and justin and i have had this conversation many times throughout a relationship, I say, I'm never going to be the girlfriend that I'm never going to be like the girlfriend to you. Like, I'm never going to be the perfect girlfriend to you. I'm never going to do the, do the exact things that you want to do. You have to be okay with me just being me. And the same goes for him. I have to be okay with him just being him. And those are the types of things that you have in relationships that you have to make those. And I don't like to use compromises that word because I don't really 
think that's what it is. Like, I want to find a better word for it that isn't like, oh, you have to make these compromises. I don't know what that, compromises That either. sounds like sacrifices, but it's more so just like, yeah. where are your values? Like, and if you can, if you guys can line up your values, then it's going to work. I think you always have to have, like, I think that the person that you're with has to be your partner and has to, like, understand your needs. Like, we've always talked about with our parents how our dad was so good at being like, all right, we're leaving. The second that something happened, like, you could just tell, like, one of the women in our family would be like, oh, we need to go. And dad would just react and be like, all right, we're going to go. Like, and I feel like that's why mom and dad, when they were great, they were awesome. Because, like, mom was so good at, like, make everyone feel well, feel welcome and like being part of the group. And dad was always great at being like, not the bad guy, but the one who was just like, all right, gotta go. Gonna protect the fam. Yeah, definitely. And I think in terms of like how we got to see our parents' relationship is really that they're, they had a good unspoken balance. And I think you can value that in a relationship. Like, uh, just, they understood each other on on a level where it didn't have they didn't have to ask you know, yeah. um, and I think that's just that's also just the time time passes by Absolutely. and you get to know that person and you just get comfortable in that sense. I think one of my least favorite things is like when people are like, oh my god, he's just like me. We're gonna be great as a relationship, and I'm like, no, because no. you'll never grow. <laughs> you'll never push each other, and it's so no. important to like find somebody. Maybe who isn't your opposite. I think being opposites is terrible. Definitely not. But I think mm-hmm. you need to find somebody who's going to help you grow and push you as a human being yes. to make you better and to make you a better version of yourself. And sometimes it means being in uncomfortable like situations and having conversations that you don't want to be in. But like I have friends right now that are in a relationship and they're great together and I love them together. But sometimes I worry that they're interests and hobbies are too aligned that they can't grow and learn from each other and I just worry that like well what's gonna happen if you guys are afraid to like have conversations and to push each other are you ever gonna grow as human beings yeah I mean I think the biggest thing for me is like individual growth is so important to me all the time like and I always feel like if you're not taking care of yourself and you're not taking care of your needs then the relationship is going to just like fail and I think like Justin and I do this a lot where I feel like every three to six months we have this check-in with each other where we go like you know are we doing what we need to do for ourselves like are we doing what we need to be doing to make our lives better to make our careers better to make our emotional selves better to make our like all of you know you need to take those things into consideration and you also need to just be like you're on your path I'm on my path we're on these paths next to each other, but we also have to know, like, it's time to step back, it's time to step in. Um, and I think knowing, like, not losing yourself in a relationship is so important. And I think we, you and I, have this really big example of our parents' relationship that was codependent. Oh, absolutely. And so I think, for me, I internalize that so much, and I just, I'm so conscious, I'm so conscious, say it for me conscious conscious of that I, I like there are like 12 words in the English language that I can't say and that's, <laughs> that's one, of, one them. of them and that's one of them no no but so I think I'm so aware of yeah. that and I've talked about it in therapy at length that <laughs> I literally 
can't, I know I can't fall into that pattern because I feel so in tune with myself and I feel so in tune with my relationship that I just, I can't become codependent. Yes. Sometimes that does mean I'm closed off. Like sometimes like that bites me in the ass. But I think that that's healthy. Like I think that you guys are in a situation where your relationship isn't necessarily like you're not the only people in your lives. Mm -hmm. Like I hate those relationships where every other word is my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my love, my nauseous. Do you have friends? Do you have a personality? (laughs) Is your personality that you're in a relationship? Because that's not a fucking personality. That's called codependency. If the only person in your world is your boyfriend or your girlfriend, sorry, you need to take a step back, meet some new people, make some new friends, and realize that your life doesn't revolve around them. Yeah. If you're Kim from Real Housewives of Atlanta season eight, then, I mean... You gotta take a step back from your husband. <laughs> she's obsessed with Chris. Um, <laughs> we are currently binge watching Real Housewives of Atlanta during this tough time of quarantine, having a great time doing it too. Yeah. Um, so, just circling back to uh, something that you brought up earlier that I love asking people because I am so obsessed with like sex and relationships and the psychology behind them. I have read so many books and articles now like to the point where like I have a membership with like psychology daily or something whatever it's called it's like a journal about like love sex and really I'm crazy about it what is your love language my love language and people can come for me people are gonna come for you probably it is giving gifts gift giving oh okay tell that is not no no no. i need her to i'm going to let her stand up for herself here because whenever i hear we'll talk primary and secondary yeah just all right for anybody who doesn't know what the love languages is one how are you friends with me two you need to look it up and you need to figure out where you are there are five love languages gift giving um, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and words of encouragement or something like that. Uh, yeah, those are the five. Um, <clears throat> so figure out which ones you are, which one really is how you best give and receive your love. You can take a quiz on it. It's super easy. They'll tell you your primary and your secondary. So Madison, defend gift giving, aka the one that everyone's like, Seriously? (laughs) Gift giving is not like a materialistic thing. I mean, I personally like to give gifts. Like, and that's the thing. Like, your love language is how you show love and how you want love to be received. So it's not necessarily like a materialistic thing as much as it's it's like a thoughtful thing. And I think it's nice to think of someone and to like show them appreciation that way. I don't think it's – and like that's the thing. Like, I don't feel necessarily super like – I need you to buy me like a really nice thing, like a really nice, like I don't like, I don't receive gifts of jewelry. I don't receive like big money sums, but I think it is really nice. But wouldn't that be nice? For someone to like look and be like, that's thoughtful. Like, and this is a good example of me using gift giving as a show for love. So about a week ago, Justin was here and he was, we were having a discussion and he brought up how Reese's eggs are the best form of Reese's, which I, I don't really like okay. Reese's that much. I really like it in my ice cream, but I I don't like it just kind of like eating it. And I Same. like Reese's sticks. Reese's sticks are the best form of so Reese's. So you're trying to woo my so sister anyways, for Reese's sticks. Reese's sticks. Those are, that's the way to do it. But so anyways, the next day I was at the grocery store and I saw Reese's eggs. So I picked it up. I got it. I bought it. I'm not going to eat that. I don't like Reese's eggs. 
But then the next time I saw Justin, I gave it to him. And that's a nice way to say, look, I was out in my daily life. I saw Reese's ex. I remembered our conversation, even though it was silly. I remembered it. I thought about you. I got this. I spent the 99 cents on your piece of candy and now I'm giving it to you. <laughs> like, that's a nice thing to do. And I think on the flip side, Justin will do that same thing for me. Like, I think one of my favorite gifts that I've ever received from him is when we, this past summer, we went to England for two weeks. And when we were in Brighton, there was a claw machine and it was all, the only toy in the claw machine was these dachshund, um, little, the, these just like little dachshund, uh, stuffed animals. And if anyone knows me, I'm obsessed with stuffed animals. I'm a child. And, and dachshunds. And I'm obsessed with dachshunds. I think they're the cutest dogs. So I kept trying to get it. I kept trying to get it and I couldn't get it. Whatever. It was just weird that it was like only dachshunds, <laughs> um, but also like my dream. So then when we came back from England, like two weeks after we came back, he gave me a little stuffed dachshund, the same one that like was in the in the claw machine and he was like thank you for such a wonderful trip like and that is just a nice gift that's a way that he remembered that moment that we had where I wanted that stuffed dachshund really badly and then he got <laughs> and then he got it for me like it's not I, he, he bought it on Amazon for like 10 bucks it's not like it was like big money but I think it's a very thoughtful it was thoughtful for sure it's it's I just think it's a nice way to show love and I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with it, actually. If you if you think it's materialistic, you're wrong. <laughs> I think, like, when people hear gift-giving, they're just like, oh, so you want a car. Yeah. Oh, so, like, no, we're not talking, like, sugar baby gift-giving. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, like, no. nice things. Like, gift-giving can even include, like, oh, I picked up a Diet Coke for you on my way here because I know it's your favorite soda and you've yeah. been having a weird day. Like, and I love that stuff. Um, I think it's fairly similar to acts of services. That is my secondary. <laughs> acts of services. <laughs> of course it is. Um, so I, yeah, my primary is physical touch. And this is another one that people hear and they're just like, oh, physical touch. I think that's touch. a really normal one. I think a lot of people are physical touch. And maybe that's just how I feel because Justin is physical touch and physical touch I mean, it's so out the door for a me. It's lot so of people. So I make everyone who I meet and date take this, and most people get quality time or words of encouragement. Yeah, words of affirmation. Affirmation. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. That's one that I was looking for. Same thing though. Um, not a lot of people get physical touch as their primary, and it's just more ironic that it's me getting physical touch because I hate when people touch me. I yeah, hate when people hug me. But when I am with somebody and, like, I have, like, a romantic relationship with them, I want to hold their hand all the time. I want to sit next to them. I want to just be as close as possible with them at every moment of the day. And it can be a little bit nauseating, and I recognize that, and I feel bad about it, but I can't change myself now. You know what I mean? Um, but people hear it and immediately are like, oh, so they just like to have sex. I'm like, no, that's not it. I just want to hold your hand. Yeah. And like when we sleep, I want to make sure that like something is touching. Like, Oh my God. I am the exact opposite. I'm not joking. I, with Justin in his, in my room and in his room, there are two separate comforters. I, do I, love not, that. I don't even want to share so much. I don't even want to share a blanket with you. Like he had to buy a second comforter because I am so like when I sleep, especially I don't want anything to be touching me and I cocoon in my 
um, comforter. So I don't want to share a comforter with you. Like my sleep is like horrible if I have to share if I have to share a blanket with someone. So I cannot relate to this at all. Like I cannot. That's like, why it's my love also, language and not yours. I mean, I sleep cocooned with a pillow over my head. So I'm basically like, if anyone even comes close to me, I'm gonna lose my mind. So I, I don't know. I just love it. Like, even um, a few weeks ago, I went on a day trip with one of my guy friends who, like, we've had some weird flirtation for the past six months. We ended up, like, making out in the middle of Brooklyn, which I initiated because I'm a badass. But I ended up staying over his house because, honestly, it just made sense. Like, we had driven back from Brooklyn. I wasn't going to drive home farther. I had drank all day. He hadn't. And so we, like, went to bed. Nothing happened. Like, but we cuddled and in the morning he went to the bathroom, came back and literally just jumped back in bed and like full on arm over me cuddling. And I was just like, I melted. I was like, this is what I needed. Like, this is how I feel comforted and loved and secure. And like, I don't know if it's also his love language or whatever, but like even driving back, the boy held my hand the whole time. And I'm just like, this is what I need. Like, this is what makes me happy. Yeah. So. And that's valid, and it's also my nightmare. I know. <laughs> also, I would get so angry. We're very, it's always funny, like, when we were growing up, Madison and I were always opposites, At but odds. always so similar at the same you time. You know what's so funny is I think we look a lot alike now. We it's never looked crazy. alike as kids. We, it's crazy because now I look at pictures of me and I'm like, oh my God, I look exactly like Kelsey. Same. Like, it's very strange to me how much as we're, now that we are both adults, how much we look alike. And we also acknowledge that we have the same exact voice. Oh my God. People say that all the time. Like <laughs> Madison. People have said that since I, like we were kids. <laughs> like people have said that. I remember but people said that like when I was in middle school. My fa- like. Oh my God. I remember teachers being like, I met your little sister. Yeah, being tell. like, I could, the second that they spoke. Just but the monotone. Madison came and visited me a few different times when I was living abroad and people would hear her talk and they'd just be like, Oh my God, that's your younger sister. Yeah. Like it was never even a question. They were like, yeah. you are the same, like you're the same person. Yeah. 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 No, we look a lot alike and we have the same voice and yeah, no, as definitely, I mean, we were not close as children, but that's because no, we, we were six fucking years apart. hated each other. Yeah. I, oh no, no, no. I don't, I don't want to say we cannot say we hated each other. No, we you, didn't. You didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> you you for a very long time because said that the worst day of your life me, was when I was born. It drove me insane because, all right, if we go back and look at pictures of me as a, like, toddler and Madison as a toddler, I am, like, a bald, peach fuzz, super pale child with no hair until I was, like, four years old. Madison comes out looking like a fucking American girl doll doll. Yes. I'm like, not going to lie. I peaked she, as a child. She was Toddler so cute. Were very there important. are so many adorable pictures of Madison as a child. And then there's me and people are like, is that a boy or a girl? And we're just like, yep. Even though we look a lot of like, we have very different features because you have very light features and I have very dark features. Yes. I'm still very pale, but not in the summer though. No, not in the summer. Madison tans. I do not tan. So we have like, the Irish English heritage and the Sicilian heritage and Madison like looks like she's like in that Sicilian family like Mm -hmm. olive skin dark eyes dark hair and then you look at me and I'm just like pale I look like I could survive a famine (laughs) like I've got like in high school my hair was actually bright orange and over the years it's darkened and it's a lot more like auburny 
dark brown mm-hmm. now. And I really still like it. But it's such, we're such yin and yang. It's so funny. Yeah. But we're essentially the same person. Yeah. The yeah, second yeah, we yeah. open our mouth. Now that we're, now that we're growing, I feel like we're, we're definitely merging. I know, we're merging into, we're merging into one together <laughs> way more than we were as children. As I children, know. it was very distinct. But, uh, yeah, not anymore. I've always wondered, do you have any, like, in, in your opinion, do you have any idea of a kind of person that I'm going to end up with? Like, have you, like, envisioned me getting married, having kids? No, because I haven't even envisioned that for myself. Really? But I do, I will say, the older I get, the more I wish you had kids. The more I can't wait for you to have kids because I really want to be an aunt. Like I really just want to be an aunt. Like I don't want to be a mom for a long time. I want to be a mom so badly now. But every now and then I see a kid and I'm like, oh my God. And then I think I don't want that, but I really want one close to me. And that would be an aunt. Aunts are aunts are amazing. Everyone loves an aunt. Yeah, Maddie would be a cool aunt. But I, yeah, no, no, no. I don't know who you would end up with. I never, because th- like I said, like I really don't think about these things for myself. I never think like, oh, who am I going to end up with? Even though I've been in a four-year-long relationship, I really don't think about it because I um, I never have seen myself getting married well, you're or still anything. so young. I mean, yeah. when I was 22, I was like, I don't want to be a mom. I don't want to get married. I don't give a fuck. And, like, I'm not saying I want to get pregnant tomorrow and have a baby tomorrow. Like, I yeah. think in my mind, like, in three or four years, I want to get pregnant. Like, that's, like, the 31-year-old, like, mom sounds great to me. No, I think, if anything, the person that I thought that you would be with, and it's similar to my own situation, it has to be someone with... The, I, I personally believe you have to be with someone that's not very dominant, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean I think you're you're a very dominant person. You have a very dominant personality. Oh, I don't and take I, it in a bad way at all. I, I think I think you need someone that is going to just like ride the wave with you, and yeah, I need somebody like slightly affable, like an yeah. easygoing person. Who's yeah, just like, you definitely oh, sure, need babe. you definitely because you're an up and down person, and so am I, and we get that from our mother <laughs> that we're just we are we are just high to low but I think you need someone and I hate saying this I hate saying it I literally hate saying it but if we're like our mother we need someone like our father who oh, is, yeah. and I hate and I literally hate it because I don't really like saying those things because that's wrong and weird but you need someone that's easygoing that's steady that's reliable I, and and I also think like you need someone that's just like you you can just rely on and I feel that way about myself too I I feel the same way like but maybe that's just how I feel about everyone. No, I <laughs> everyone mean, needs someone steady and reliable. I think, yeah. I mean, I always joked with people. I'm like, oh my god, Justin reminds me of no. Dad don't so say it. Much. Please don't say it. Please don't say it because it really isn't okay with me. I hate when people <laughs> I say that. I literally I, hate when people. That say was that. something about like my ex that I dated. Like I was so serious about him and so in love with him, and there were so many things about him that I was just like, this is so easy to be with, and like he kind of lets me be in charge, like. But there were some things that I'm just like, uh, But I will say, like, being with, because I'm also a dominant person, I'm also just, like, my way or the highway as a person, being with that person is, there are challenges that come with being with a really steady person because they get really used to you just, like, planning out life. And 
And they get I don't really, want to, though. They get really used to you just, like, kind of doing... And I have to be that person who has to say, like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm taking a back seat. Like, you need to stop... I'm not driving Miss Daisy anymore. I'm sorry. Like, you need to, <laughs> you need to seriously sit... Uh, like, you need to be in the driver's seat, too. And, I mean, this is a conversation that Justin and I had, you know, not too long ago, where I said, like, you're always sitting around waiting for me to make our next move. And I'm not doing it anymore. Like, I need... And that's the thing, like, at the end of the day, you need a partner, like, and, yeah, you, and when you're, and you're with that person that's, le- that's easygoing, that's less dominant, a lot of the times it's really good, and then some of the times you're like, all right, step up to the plate, like, we're playing yeah. ball, like, come on. Be a self-starter, you know how to make a decision, you do not yeah. need to tell you what to do. Yeah, I can't hold your hand through everything in life, and I think it's really hard to strike a balance with a person like that, because I've also been, uh, I've been attracted to people that have more dominant personalities just because I kind of feel like oh I can kind of take a back seat in this role but then I eventually end up not liking it like I eventually end up being like oh you're not gonna really you're not really letting me open my mouth up and I think there's just maybe like an initial attraction to like oh they've really got like their shit together their life together so I, I don't know like but I think sometimes I don't I don't know if I could be with a person that's fully that way, because I think that would be too much like myself. And like we said, like it's, you can't be with a person that has the exact same personality as you. No, I definitely get that. I mean, like I, I definitely believe that like I should be with somebody who is going to let me be captain one and they can be captain two. Like I, I don't want to be the person that makes the decisions all the time. Like currently I am like, low-key talking to this guy and he's very nice and he's very wonderful Mm -hmm. but he has made it very clear like I would be in charge in the relationship all the time he does not want to make any decisions the only decision he wants to make is to make me happy and like that's wonderful and that's really nice and part of me is like oh my god that would be so great but then I'm like I don't want to fucking choose where we get takeout from I don't want to choose what movie we see every single time make a decision like you do not need me to tell you you did a good job good boy no it it definitely gets old and I mean I definitely struggle that with that I struggle with it a lot because I feel like and I I mean I I think Justin can be really good because there are times where I literally say I, I genuinely have to communicate this I have to say I can't make this decision because sometimes I really just can't like it is like oh what are we gonna have for dinner and I'm like I'm not deciding I would rather you did like sometimes I just I'd rather can't hate decide. what you choose than me have to fucking yeah, choose again. exactly. I think a lot of it comes from this like guilt of like if you make all the decisions all yeah. the time, there's gonna be this built up resentment of just like, well, why didn't you ask what I want? Why couldn't you read my mind yes. to know that I wanted Chinese food yes. tonight and you fucking wanted chicken yeah. parm? It's inevitably always going to blow over. I mean, not blow over, blow up. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's not good at the end of the day. And and it's it's too much of a burden on one person to be kind of the leader. Because it's like, I want to be the leader of myself in my own life 100%. But in when we're in a partnership, like, we really do have to both be ready to play. Even if you're not always going to be called up. Yeah, absolutely. Off the bench, you know. No, 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 so I get keep that. making these sports references. Because <laughs> she love loves sports, sports references. Oh, my God. I'm just, ugh. Which is, like, I make so many sports references in school, like, and my students are just, like, Miss Henley, I don't know what that means. And I'm, like, well, you see, like, 
You would, if you watch football, you would understand. And they're just like, yeah, I don't watch football. I'm like, mm, all right, cool, cool, cool. I'm just going to go over here in this corner. Yeah. So we're going to go to what I believe will be my favorite segment of the show. I, every single week, will ask my co-host slash guest, whatever you want to call them. I feel like you're more like a co-host when you're hanging out with me. Um because you also drove a lot of the conversation, which is good. That's what you should do. But I am dying to know what is like your hot take or what is like the hill that you're willing to die on? And it can be anything from like something as silly as just like this pasta shape is the best pasta shape. Now you're going to have to rigatoni. explain your <laughs> same. Somebody yeah. asked me this yesterday and I said rigatoni. rigatoni. Yeah. But you're going to have to like quantify, like qualify your response. First off, you need to explain yourself and you need to be open for debate because if your hot take is fucking ridiculous, I'm going to call you on it, but I'm also going to make one as well. And obviously, since I'm doing it every single week, some of them are just going to be so fucking stupid and it's going to be so great. So Madison, what is, okay. what is it? What is the hill that you die on this week? At I least? have a hill that I die on and I also have a hot take, but my hot take is kind of from last week because this is when you introduced that this was going to be a question. And I want to do both. So okay. my hot take... I'm open. Because my hill that I die on, you're not going to be able to argue with. Um, okay. Because it, it's something that you don't know about. But like, okay, so my hot take is... And this is kind of a little outdated in the world of Twitter. But justice for Vanessa Hudgens. I mean, what she said about coronavirus. Oh my God. It's wrong, but didn't we all think the same thing? Okay. Like, weren't we all so, oh, all so, like, okay, so people are going to die. <laughs> Don't so people die all the time? for a little bit of, like, perspective on what she's talking about, if, like, you're listening to this a year from now, or, like, you just don't social media, then how the fuck did you find this podcast? But Vanessa Hudgens last week came out online, and they, you know, everybody's talking about flattening the curve, and it's this idea of, like, we're gonna She was definitely, distance. like, super high. Oh, yeah, or super sure. drunk. We're socially distancing from other people, not to eradicate the virus, but just to, like, stop this massive influx that will destroy our healthcare system so that people who need help can get help and those who don't need it won't get it. Um, and she goes online and, like, posts a video being, like, She was on who live. Give Oh, so good. She's like, yeah, well, like, people are going to die. So what? And, like, you're not wrong. I mean, that's not the exact, like, I mean, she, but she did bring up people are going to die. Because she was saying, like, yeah, I don't think it's going to be, I think it was, like, more in this vein. She was like, yeah, I don't think it's going to be until, like, July. Like, it's like the flu. Like, people are going to die. Like, and also, we were all saying the same thing in private. Like, just because she hopped on live and has a big following and said it doesn't mean she's, like, the villain of the day. She's not going to get canceled. I mean, she's already not canceled for it. It doesn't matter. And she already came out and apologized for it. And it's true, but it's, like, we've all already said it. We've all already been, like, we don't want summer to be ruined. Like, whatever, if people are going to die. Don't want summer to be ruined. Yeah, so whatever. That's my hot take. I think Vanessa Hudgens, justice for her. It's okay, girl. Like, we all say, we all say... Things that are wrong, you know? But we just all don't have massive platforms. Yeah, yeah. Which, like, she... You know what? Here's the thing. Like, she's not wrong. Like... No, no. no, no like... No. I mean, people are already dying. it also... Yeah, I mean, like... People are dead. <laughs> it's, it's an unfortunate fact of life. These viruses, things like the plague, they happen. And we're all doing the best that we can do. But, like, if you, like, can't accept the fact that there will be a loss, like... Yeah. You're being naive at that point. Yeah. My hot take, 
And this is going to be something that Madison actually <laughs> will connect with, but she'll be so mad that I said it. Oh, I'm scared. Nene Leakes is the most important cast member of The Real Housewives of Atlanta, and without her, there would never be any real drama and real fighting, and it would be the most boring franchise. This is wrong. And, I, and I'm, like, I mean, I see the importance of Nene, but no longer. It's, like, like, we don't need her all this time. The thing is, is, like, Nene doesn't go on a trip with a bunch of girls who hate each other. And at the end of the trip, they all love each other, and they're all friends, and they've all made up. But the second Nene reappears, all that drama comes back. And without Nene, there would be no internal fighting. Everybody like, would get over it I because know. she wouldn't be there to be like, oh, but don't you remember what so-and-so but said? I just... I just disagree with a lot of the things that she says. Like, I just have issues with a lot of things she says because she, I mean, she is all about Nini. She is. That's fine. And that's why it bothers me to watch her because I feel like she has no ability to step down. Like, I feel like she's an on-air producer. I don't know, but I just think she has no, like, when she's wrong, like, and she'll, she'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that you thought I was wrong. And it's like, why can't you just be fucking genuine for one second. I don't know. I just, like, don't like Nene. And I agree, like, she brings a certain level of drama, but every single time she's involved in a fight, I'm so, I'm so anti her. Like, I'm, she's always the villain to me, and I don't know if that's just me, because I'm sure plenty of people love her. Why do you think she's been on the show for, like, 12 seasons? Because she drives the storylines. I just, okay, yeah, I mean. That's why I don't, I don't find Nene Leakes likable. I actually kind of hate her, but, yeah. like, if the whole entire show was like Candy, who I love, the show would be boring as shit because... Oh, true. Like, I mean, Candy is boring as hell, but also like... But she's got Mama Joyce, and Mama Joyce is crazy. If you haven't watched Real Housewives like of Atlanta, Joyce get on Hulu. It's I worth know. it. Actually, yeah, last night I was like talking to my friend Dylan, <laughs> and he was like, I, and he was like, oh, I watch like New York, I watch New Jersey, I watch Beverly Hills, I watch OC, and he goes, but I don't watch Atlanta, and I was like... Get on that. You need to get on that, because I don't know how we were all missing them... But we were, because I agree. Like, I do feel like I know New... I watched New Jersey. New Jersey, I watched, New, New York. York is going to fall off anyways because of... <clears throat> Without Bethany. Bethany. Yeah. Like, RIP New York. Bye. I hope she comes back. Um, I, I give it... I think she'll take two seasons off. She's, like, very time, into this, like, be strong... Like, her, like, be strong initiative and, like, yeah. her, like initiative to like help you that's great yeah. but like girl you were the on-air producer we need you for the storyline but i think besides i mean besides new jersey i think atlanta is the best series atlanta is the most entertaining series i like atlanta and new jersey because i feel like they're all actually friends they're, they're all they all yep. actually have relationships yep, yep, yep. i feel like beverly hills i'm like I, some of them do some of them some do of them like don't. dorit um, Kyle, Teddy, yeah. like I feel like, and Ethan, Lisa, Rinna, like I feel like they yeah, all Lisa see each other all the time, Kyle and they, are definitely friends. Exactly, I feel like they're all actually friends. I feel like when you start like trying to put other people into that mess, like, Denise, like it doesn't work. Like, okay. like who the f- Denise? I can't wait for this new season because yeah. she is gonna blow up and never return. So that's how I. That's why I feel like, and maybe it's just like Jersey people and Atlanta people. They just have they, fire. They and they also have like. Uh, they, they they definitely have like this sense of like family and loyalty that is just way different than the other housewives. I think that, they like, have we relate to their yes, sense of family and like hierarchy in family. Yeah. 
because like we grew up in a fairly Italian family yeah. that so like really Jersey. has that like respect and that love and yeah. that like ride or die like yeah loyalty we can fuck with each other but if you fuck with one of us you're dead yeah and I feel like Atlanta's a lot like that and New Jersey is definitely like yes. that you don't fuck with us yeah exactly and I think especially ever since Teresa's been home from prison it's a much more enjoyable show oh my god so much better I didn't even I watched the season that she was away and it was the most boring thing ever yeah but I think it's better because Teresa is toned down like I used to find Teresa ridiculous when before she went to prison but now I find her like she still has drama she still has a bit of her old ways she's still like but she's logical like she I still I, I I understand where she's coming from now so that is I mean and I you know I love Melissa Jennifer had so much drama on the Jennifer's reunion this season. She's she and her kids. I know. I'm digging I, Gina this like, season <laughs> actually. Like I found her likable for once. Uh what? And Margaret. Oh, but now we're oh, I was talking about Jennifer from New Jersey. But Gina, I like Gina. I we're talking now you're talking about OC. Shit, I'm mixing up the housewives now. <laughs> Jennifer, I'm talking about the Turkish No, 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 one. yeah, yeah, I knew yeah, that you yeah. were talking about her. She has a gay brother. Right, right, right. That was, like, a big thing. I didn't um, like her this season. She was a No, lot. she was annoying, and she came for Jackie, which I like Jackie. I like Jackie. Jackie was fun this season. Jackie, yeah. I feel like, opened up, and yeah, I feel definitely. like she's a housewife I could she's chill She's becoming with. more in the group. But, yeah, no, no, no. Talking about OC, yeah. I mean, I liked OC. When does OC come back? Not for a while. Beverly Hills comes back like next week. New York New comes York. back. New York comes back first. And then Beverly Hills comes back uh, right after it, like a week later. Yeah. I just like, I love Bravo. Like this is, <laughs> so I remember when I was living in Ireland, like I was in this group of friends, like whatever, we'd always chit chat. And a bunch of people knew I was there for my master's. But one day one guy came up to me and he was like, oh, sure, Kelsey, like, what are you doing your master's in? And I, like, explained it to him. I was like, oh, like, you know, I'm doing it in uh, French modern languages, civilization, you know, conservative politics in France in the 90s and early 2000s, institutional racism, whatever. And he stared me dead in the eyes and just goes, honestly, before this conversation, I thought you were one of the dumbest mm-hmm. airhead girls I've ever met in my entire life. All you do is talk about fucking reality TV and you actually have a brain, and I feel like that's how people perceive me because I love Bravo. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll die for those Bravo girls. I, I love, I love reality TV. Like, come on, that's that's golden age of television. You know how I feel about the Kardashians. Like, you know, know. I'll, I'll take the sword. For Maddie, them. fucking not anymore. Loves the I don't feel as like it's connected. not as great. It's not as good as it and used Courtney to be. And Courtney sucks. Oh no, I mean, I've never liked Courtney. I'm Nobody gonna be honest does. with you. I've never liked Courtney, but. But yes, it's like I've always loved the Kardashians. I've always been ready to like ride for them. I don't like them as much in recent years, but I'm still watching the show every Sunday. Well, now it's on Thursdays on Eve. But um, just a little plug for them. But <laughs> yeah, they need it. Low key, their viewership is down. I can tell. Well, you know I what? Can feel it. They got moved to Thursday night. I feel like Thursday is a super competitive night for TV, and like putting you on that night, you're either gonna make or break. Well, they were on Sundays before, so I don't know. But whatever. Um, yeah, like I've always loved reality TV, so I'm not gonna hate. I mean, 
I feel like Madison and I are both like actually really smart girls. And so like we watch reality TV because it just like shuts our brains off and like we can enjoy. Like people are like, have you watched this TV show and it's so complicated? We watch, it's like Lost mixed with Game of Thrones mixed with blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, it's too much thinking. Like I just want to like yeah. be like, yes, girl, pour that wine on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I want to be able to like text while I watch the show. Like if I want to, which focus, is why Real Housewives has been our shit. Yeah, exactly. So you said you had a hill to die yes, on. Yes, I have a hill to die on, and like I said, this is. I gave her a week notice, so I she's don't been know, thinking. I don't know who is really even gonna relate to this. Um, but it's all right. This it's, is not it's about really everybody. It's about you right now. It's my passion project. Okay, so um, famously, I, and I, famously, quite famously, the golden age of musical theater oh my God, was the 1940s so through the 1950s. Oh God. Okay. And I would like to say no. The golden age of musical theater was the 1970s, and I mean, I will just. Can you name some? musical uh, theater productions that came out. I I just want to yes. point this out. This is something that Madison and I totally differ in. I am sort of getting into musical theater now. I have never liked it. I found it over the top, and I'm not an over-the-top person. Um, I love music. I think I just don't like the fact that, like, people are having a conversation and then all of a sudden they start dancing and singing and like everybody's just like in on it and I'm like this isn't realistic but then I watch shit like how to lose a guy in 10 days and I'm like this yeah. is so I could definitely see myself doing this okay so highlights highlights from yes, the 1970s which is revolutionary in my opinion no 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 no. and i and i say the people that say oh hamilton oh dear evan hansen great shows i love hamilton i'm i'm i i love it but this that is not the golden age the best musicals are from the 1970s jesus christ superstar oh my god you were so good i mean i just want to thank dad to the end of my dying days because that is Truly, my dad was iconic. Jesus Christ Superstar. I couldn't stand it. It's not a musical, as he would say. It is a rock opera. Then you have, kind of in the same vein, Godspell, another amazing musical of the 1970s. They're both. They both taught me more about religion than I, I think I know more than like confirmed Catholics at this point. I know more about Jesus. Like I literally do. I know parables and stuff like that because of these shows. And she could do it all in song. I could do it all in song. With a dance. And that's why the 1970s are so good is because they move away. 1940s and 50s are what you think of musical theater. You think, you know, like, oh, I, I don't even know. Like, I feel like musical theater It's classics. Me, it's, it's very, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's a lot of like Fred Astaire singing and yeah, dancing. Yeah, no, no, and, like, no. It's like sound of music. Dancing, it's, sound of music. I, I, sound, sound of music is great. so good. And you know what? I don't think it's musical theater. Okay. <laughs> if you can see her what face is it? right there. Like, what is it? You don't no. think it's musical theater? I don't know. Bated breath over here. I, I think that it's a beautiful story that the woman just likes to say. And she teaches them songs. Okay, all right. Like, so, I don't... No. Here's, I mean, no, 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 but here's the difference. There's only <laughs> one everything. song. There's only one song in that whole entire movie that moves plot. Whereas I feel like musical theater, music actually moves and pushes along the plot yes. line. The only song in that one, should. in mm-hmm. that movie specifically, 
is I am 16 going on 17. Like that pushes a plot line of just like a relationship where nothing else does. I'm not not even getting into that. Okay. I'm not getting into that. Okay. Okay. So we have Jesus Christ Superstar, Godspell. Then we have Pippin. Oh my God. Blowing our minds. So different. Experimental. It makes absolutely no sense. Makes classic references. The music is great. Amazing. Then we have things like Chorus Line, an absolute classic. Going I have into the, no idea what the Chorus Line is Chorus about. Line is about what people is about? auditioning for the Chorus Line in a musical. Meta. We have these performers on stage at an audition. They're singing their songs. They're talking about how, you know, dance and theater uh, changed their lives at the ballet. Come on. That's, I mean, jaw-dropping. Then we have something like Chicago, very famous. Shout Chicago out to Rose, Renee Zellweger again for the movie adaptation. <laughs> Chicago is amazing. It's different. It's risque. And it's on Broadway for Evs. I know. We did get to go see it. It was quite good. Then we have another absolute classic oh. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Never Jaw-dropping. Seen it. Amazing. Controversial. Like blowing everyone's minds. They are doing things that the girls are just not doing anymore. And then for a special little traditional shout out. Yeah. Annie. Annie. Annie is boring. It's it's a callback to the classics, but hey, it's lasted long and it is from the 1970s. So I would just like to say I hate the movie Annie. I mean, I it was a special shout out. It's not part of my favorite list, but it really is. When did Mamma Mia come out? Is that the well, 80s or the 90s? ABBA, it was probably the 80s because ABBA had to write all those songs first. Alright, so Mamma Mia, when was it? It was 1999, so that's late, but it is based off of 1970s music, so I guess we can kind of, you know, put those together. But I will just say, musical theater in the 1970s was weird, and I think that is what has made musical theater today really dynamic and different. Um... And I literally love it. Like, I just, those are the best shows, in my opinion. And I've, and I think why musical theater is so great is, is it is, it's very strange. It's weird. And people aren't watching those shows. People are watching, you know, shit like Guys and Dolls and stuff like that. Like, that stuff, I'm sorry. If you like that stuff, that's cool. But, like, the really good stuff is the weird stuff. It's the creative stuff. It's the art stuff. So and what's your thought on Grease? Grease is overrated in my opinion actually, that is actually the hot take of this it's overrated i'm so but no no, no i i mean when i because i am a musical theater person i really do i i just love the weird stuff i love the original stuff because that is what makes it so good and i mean not all of that's weird course line isn't weird it's just classic and like but like stuff like rocky horror picture show jesus christ superstar godspell those are really like pippin such weird shows weird concepts and i think musical theater which is something that i loved all growing up was really for weird kids and i think that's why those shows are so amazing because it really speaks to these people that just find themselves in their little niche group of people that and this is where madison and i differed growing up is madison was musical theater and i was sports and like we completely like went different directions there and i'm starting to like musical theater i'm never gonna say that i'm a fan i do enjoy some of it um but yeah i mean brings 
chills and tears to my eyes every single time. I mean, and shout out to the 1968 classic, which is really one of my favorites, and it's not part of the 1970s. <laughs> but it should be in her mind. But, but I mean, but You make the rules on your... It's just a classic. It's just a classic, and I have to shout it out. Funny Girl, Barbara Streisand, one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't time. even know what it's about. Don't tell uh, me. It's, it's just, okay. it's beautiful. It's perfect. It's classic. It's uh, iconic. Barbara Streisand has never done anything wrong in her lifetime. And I'm, I'll, die, I'll die on that hill, too. I'm dying on lots of hills, but a lot of them have to do with Madison singing and dancing. Madison just, like, lives essentially in, like, Scotland, where there are a lot of hills. Yeah. She's exactly. like, this is my country, and this is all yeah. the hills that I die on. And yeah. every single one of them, this is the Barbara Streisand, this is the 1970s musical theater, this is the Rigatoni one. Well, Rigatoni's a no-brainer. I mean, I, come on. If you choose a different pasta shape, honestly, you don't deserve to be our friend. And it's spaghetti. Go home. I will say when I was living in France, I used to eat spaghetti all the time and I'd cook like a pound of it at the time and I would just like twirl it up and eat it. And like there was something so comforting about that many carbs in one bite. Can't relate. I'm just, I love those two pastas. So <laughs> that's just me. That's just me. All right. Well, Madison, I really appreciate you coming on and being guest number one, considering I had no idea what this was gonna be like and how it was gonna go I didn't really come on I live here so I'm kind of just sitting in our living room <laughs> that's very true but I did essentially have to stalk her for a week being like so tonight 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 and she was like no and then so tonight I turned to her and I was like do you want to record a podcast and she was like all right yeah sure I'm here so I really appreciate it I will have you back on because like Henley's sister banter is next to none I mean we definitely, I think, over the years have grown, have become very close friends. So, you know, it's great having you. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you enjoyed listening, just uh, check out the rest of the podcast. We'll have other episodes coming out weekly. Thank you all for listening, and I'll catch you some other time. Thanks. <laughs>